0: hazza Welcome to the Summer Call Play bonus episode here on Patreon. We're so excited to talk to you all today. We got some amazing questions.
1: It's that Patreon time of the week. Happy Friday. Yeah. Happy freaking Friday. It's actually Friday for us. Last week we recorded on Thursday. And so <laughs> after this, we're going to go to the creek. We're going to hang out. It's going to be great. I'm pumped.
0: Great. I'm a little bit behind on work. So after this, I'm going to like get deep into it in my emails. And then I actually get to do uh, some Leadville 100 mile or pre-race calls uh, with some athletes who I I deeply love and can't wait for that. So we got so much fun going on in the work worlds and in the play worlds.
1: I don't even classify pre-race calls as anything according to work for me because yeah. there's, they get me pumped up. I'm like, I'm ready to go race a 100 mile or after, after talking to athletes. So. Well,
0: I'm going to get to talk to Claire Gallagher. So I'm going to be so excited. I might not sleep tonight because I'll be so happy. I'm
1: so pumped for Claire Gallagher. Actually, you were supposed to pace her um, for the final 40 miles of that race. And unfortunately, I can't travel to altitude because of pregnancy. And I was so sad. You guys are going to make the best dynamic duo. (laughs) And I I just wanted you to experience, I've raced with Claire before, and she has this incredible earth-raging energy when she races. And I wanted you to experience that first hand.
0: The big worry is that I think there was a non-zero chance I would get dropped. (laughs) <laughs> Seriously, I
1: don't think so. You just got an FKT.
0: Oh, I did get an FKT Thank in the you. high country. Yeah, it's James Peak. It's a thirteen thousand three hundred foot mountain here above Boulder. I think it's the biggest in the Indian Peaks, or at least one of them. Um, and so yeah, I'm, I'm pretty proud of it. It was a, it was a good effort. Uh, around thirteen thousand feet, I got trucked. By the altitude, um, so that was a good wake up call, but it was super fun. And so thank you, coach.
1: I am so pumped. You, you ran incredibly. Whenever you go to do these like efforts or long runs, I'm just constantly refreshing my Strava on my <laughs> computer. I'll be on Zoom calls and I'll just be like, control R, control R, just constantly refreshing. And when it popped up and I saw the uphill FKT and somehow the round trip FKT, even though <laughs> you're just chilling on the downhills. I was really excited, but that happens. I mean, I've been I've been there before at high altitude when like the lights just suddenly go out, yeah. and it happens almost like instantly. How did you get through that?
0: Uh, I was just like one step at a time. It doesn't you don't have to move fast to get up a mountain, uh, and that's basically what I went into. But the main thing I was channeling out there, aside from you and the sexy little baby in your stomach, uh, we're
1: calling baby sexy. Yeah, yeah. Everything's sexy.
0: Sex, Sexy is something that we use to... Uh,
1: it's, it implies like a certain level of swag and aura. Maybe not necessarily like physical sexiness. Is that what you're referring to?
0: No, no. He's going to be physically sexy, too. It's just so sexy. Um, we're going to raise him in a very positive... Like a very affirming environment uh, where he's very confident in his body and his sexy, sexy big old head. Um, but yeah, one of the things I was actually thinking about out there consistently was... Um, Today, Meg McKenzie told me that one of her, like the dog that she had grown up with that was her parents, like number one dog passed away last night at 17 years old.
1: Oh my gosh. And,
0: but the, what she said about the dog that I loved so amazing dog, um, is that this dog would never run when it could prance, and so that's what I was thinking. It's like I'm not running out here if I can prance.
1: We need that on a T-shirt. Yeah, wouldn't that be an incredible T-shirt design? Why would you run when you can prance? Yeah,
0: so I totally conveyed uh, the big prance energy, and I'm proud of it. I mean, it's three minutes faster than I went in 2020 two years ago, and I think it demonstrates a lot of what we've been talking about with power at VO2 max. You know, I've made sure that that number has not dropped. If anything, maybe it's even improved. Like the quarter percent or something. And by doing that, it's allowed my aerobic system to do more work. So Mm -hmm. um, you know, three minutes in a one hour, 18 minute climb is a huge amount at this part of my development. Um so yeah, thank you. You've been you've you've helped me so much.
1: I've I really respected your confidence and swag heading into this too, because we were meeting with your parents last night and you're kind of describing what you're gonna go through on this FKT. And you're like, I'm not really worried about it. I got it. And it was so cool to see you just so confident in your fitness and where things are and I'm proud of you for that. And also, too, I've kind of thrown a wrench into things like because I can't travel to high altitude and we can't travel right now, your races are a little bit more limited. And you've like made lemonade out of this whole experience and gone and have just crushed peaks around your FKTs. And I'm really proud of your
0: You're growing a sexy little baby. (laughs) You know, the hard part is a baby alone. A sexy little baby FKT? Yeah, it is. But like a baby alone is a lot. But adding in the sexiness, that is like a whole other bit of energy expenditure. You know, you're not just creating any baby. You're creating the one baby to rule them all with sexiness. You're creating the Justin Timberlake of babies. <laughs> that's a lot.
1: Perhaps the sexiness is why I feel like I need an extra like 400 calories a day of mac and cheese on top of like everything that I was already eating in pregnancy. So yeah. maybe that's maybe that's where it's all going is just the sexy aura of his nature. I
0: like that. You know how we said always be ovulating yeah. when we were considering getting pregnant? I think we should... What is it? Like always be gestating for how we should eat during like Mm -hmm. all life as an athlete because like you're not exercising right now, but you're eating in the same way that you do when you do high training because you're creating life and it really is a high energy expenditure thing similar to training. So just always be gestating. I'm glad I came up with that on the spot. I
1: freaking love that. But actually here's the thing though is I am kind of an, I never thought I would get to this point in my life but I'm actually a little annoyed with the quantity of food that I have (laughs) to eat (laughs) perhaps because it's like I'm not training and so it just like feels like a different context but I'm like oh my gosh I'm just hungry all the time and I have never like usually in my life I'd be like oh my gosh that's such a gift I love food so much and recently I had the realization I'm like I'm kind of excited for postpartum when I'm breastfeeding and it slows down like just a little bit but yes I was surprised I had that
0: I mean to to give perspective like you ate a really big lunch yesterday you had pizza for lunch and then um you had a bunch of snacks you had some sweets you ate I was impressed and then like an hour later you're just like why am I still hungry (laughs) I was
1: so hungry so then I had tater tots yeah tater tots are like the best thing in the world
0: okay and that's the final takeaway before we start to get into some running questions is tater tots buy them now I feel like I forgot they existed somehow like all of my life, you know, I, I love french fries, but I just don't come across tater tots very often. And then we heard from Zoe Rome at Toronto that she loves tater tots. And then at Whole Foods, they have a big thing of tater tots for like two and a half dollars. And they're amazing microwaved. They're amazing thrown into any dish. If you're making pizza, you can just toss them on the side of the pan Basically, tater tots and cheese rock shit and I can't believe I'm just figuring this out about tater tots.
1: You put tater tots in everything. I do. It's been appearing in rice dishes, appearing in salads, appearing all over the place. And I actually, I really respect it and I love the efficiency in which you can make tater tots. We also got sweet potato tater tots at uh, Whole Foods. We have yet to try them, so stay tuned. You were a little skeptical when you looked at the coloring on the, yeah. as you opened them up, so we haven't tried them yet, but I'm curious.
0: I think the regular taters are pretty important to the tater tot experience. Once I opened them up, I was like, oh, fuck this. (laughs) If I'm going to do tater tots, I'm going all the way.
1: It's like being duped by cauliflower rice.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Okay, so let's get to some questions. We have a bunch lined up. I think we might get to eight. We'll see. Um, It depends how much fun we have.
1: Okay, these questions have been outstanding. I've been responding to them on Patreon messages. David sometimes responds to the comments. And it's actually like an incredible continuing education for us. Yeah. It's, I feel like, actually we were recently watching a show, and I forget the name of the documentary, but it was on the prices, right? And a guy was doing like really rigorous Price's is Right training and having just questions po- constantly pop up on his screen asking him what the price was going to be yeah. and I feel like after answering these Patreon questions I am so ready to go on any podcast <laughs> to ask to have him ask me anything it's like amazing training to sit there and be like I'm going to answer this question in 5 to 10 minutes and it's been a gift so thank you for the continuing education and you're making our just our we also like approach it as journal club so it's been a really yeah. fun experience for us too yeah
0: all the time it'll be like 5.30am and Megan will look to, to the right and just say what do you think about this question that was on there. And then we'll go back and forth, often not starting in a place of agreement. So thank you all. It has been awesome for our growth as coaches. And we have so much fun getting to do these podcasts and then also you know just thinking about these questions, which brings us to the first one that led to a big 5.30 a.m. discussion. Hello, uh, your podcast has been amazing addition to my training. Really enjoy listening to y'all. Uh, I was curious about the difference between twenty second strides versus thirty seconds. Is it more beneficial to do six by twenty or say four by thirty? I'm a very slow twitch athlete. Athlete haven't broken five in the mile, but have a marathon PR of two thirty five. Beast. Boss. Uh, thanks for your input. What a good question and something that, honestly, I don't know if I've ever been asked, but something I think about all the time in coaching.
1: Well, here's the wild thing is, so I answered this question on Patreon and I was yeah. glad, actually, as I answered it, we had similar opinions on this, which was fantastic. And then a day later, an athlete asked the exact same question <laughs> in their training log. And I was like, this was the preparation. Uh, so it was it was amazing to see those two questions back to back. But diving into it, and this is kind of how I outlined it. I was glad to see that we agreed on it. This is how I outlined it. in the message is that 20 second strides, I tend to think about more speed adaptations, thinking about neuromuscular and biomechanical um, and overall musculoskeletal preparation to be able to handle speed. Um, And so the long story short is we often combine 20-second and 30-second strides within the sense of one week. But 30 seconds oftentimes I think more of a strength stimulus um, with higher cardiac stimulus cardiac output stimulus and more of an overall focus on like aerobic work which is why we mix 20 second and 30 second strides pretty I mean I would say I probably do 50 yeah. 50 in terms of my athletes and it's great to have a combination of both because they're truly different stimuli
0: yeah for me it depends on like the athlete's background so if an athlete isn't able to get much intensity in training they'll do a ton more 30 second strides mm-hmm. um, so like let's say a 60 year old athlete will do a lot more 30 second strides but it's essentially a great chance to give them more of a strength stimulus that they're not getting in training. If they're a very advanced athlete, we don't want to be introducing any extra stress outside of these really hard workouts that some of these athletes do in builds, and they'll do a lot more 20 seconds. Uh, But I think what's really helpful when you're reflecting on which one to do just remember that it's a long way. And those 10 seconds make an immense difference in how it feels. Oh
1: my gosh. Mentally doing a 30 second stride, like the last 10 seconds of that, I'll be like kind of looking at my watch a yeah. good bit being like, when am I done? When am I done? And 30 seconds, actually, it's a good way to like make time. Just to, like really appreciate the passing <laughs> of time because it goes by a lot slower than you think.
0: But that points out why it's such a great adaptation stimulus too, because it turns into a little bit of a uh, low-key workout. Um, and this is something that you're starting to see pop up in training um programs of some of the best athletes in the world. And I think it's very interesting. So a good example is the Ingbertson training, Jacob Ingbertson, who uh, got the gold medal in the 1500. He does a lot of threshold training, lower key intervals. But if you notice, every single week, they're doing something like 20 by 30 to 40 second hills um the idea being that that is a major power stimulus in the cardiac there's actually a cardiac response to it whereas those 20 second strides the shorter strides what you might you know conceive of as a stride more naturally yeah that's great for your speed your neuromuscular system and your biomechanics um but you're probably leaving a little bit on the table Mm -hmm. if that's all you do um as your strides for the week
1: That being said, actually, athletes that some athletes that I work with that are more prone to muscular tendon based injuries, I actually tend to avoid the 20 second strides as they're like coming Mm -hmm. back from an injury because that more rapid focus on speed or the musculoskeletal system can be pretty taxing at first. Whereas uh, often athletes do a better job of easing into their 30 second strides. So I also take injury background um, and where they are in their training cycle into context as well.
0: Okay. So if you could only have one of them. 20 seconds or 30 seconds as an element that you work into training throughout the year. Um, and then the other one you can never use again, uh, which would it be.
1: I would go 30 seconds on an interesting caveat. So the first 10, they have to really focus on easing into the effort. Uh And then the final 20 can be a little bit more progression. Um, And that can be a helpful way to kind of balance um, kind of all the different factors coming together. But also too, just to err on the side of caution. Because, you know, if an athlete's heavily injury prone, you know, perhaps I would would tend more towards 30 second strides. Yeah.
0: And I mean, I totally agree. Would you agree with that? 100%. And I I would go as far as to say, if you're listening to this and you do not do 30 second hill strides, you need to start now it is we have seen the most wild data behind the scenes of how our athletes respond often in a period of five days if they've never done it and then those uh adaptations compound over time which is why seeing jacob ingbertson or jacob whiteman who just won the world championships in the 1500 incorporate these elements is fascinating because it aligns with like our what our theory has been forever and what we've brought to ultras and so I think it's one of those cheat code things that it does something to physiology. Even if we're giving it names of what we think it is, we're not 100% sure. But the fact that it's popping up in basically every system is something to pay attention to.
1: Have you ever so the Ingbritsons are famous for doing things like 20, 20 by 30 seconds or 20 yeah. by 45 seconds. For me as a coach I've actually never given beyond 12 to 15 um, numbers in terms of like quantity of strides. Yeah. Have you gone into that 20 range for athletes? I've never gone
0: over 12. Um, I haven't
1: either because I, well, well one the counting is really annoying yeah. and I feel like it's just easy to lose focus um, but I'm curious if you have the same reason.
0: No because I have empathy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no I, we were talking about this uh, last night actually unrelated Related topic is whenever we give a workout we think about the athlete doing it right and what it feels like and so we've done everything we've ever given and so we know exactly what it feels like and i could not wrap my head around that many intervals of anything um like a hill especially where you have to go back up and uh, come down um that being said the context of our conversation about this is pretty interesting in that there whenever we see an athlete that won't adapt to just training in general like when they've stagnated sometimes we have to break those cycles of empathy Yes, because like both <laughs> of us have a certain amount of talent that for, for the way that we adapt so we understand that and so we'll adapt in a context that maybe another athlete needs more um, and so it's about balancing but when it comes to strides I just don't think there's any reason to unless an athlete's training for a mile in that specific speed uh, you know, what it? Speed endurance matters. Um, if the specific speed endurance matter doesn't matter. You're just looking for background adaptations. And
1: I'll often do speed endurance in disguise. So, diagonals is a great place. Yeah. Um, so, instead of doing telling someone to go out and running, you know, 20, 20, 20 by second strides, I'll have them do diagonals on a soccer field and have them do that for 20 minutes. And you accomplish the same thing without yeah. actually quantifying it. And so, I've gotten there's been ways around that I've like worked around the empathy problem. Um, <laughs> but that's been something that's been really instructive. For yeah. Me. I mean, I love
0: the diagonals, famous in Kenyan training camps uh, mm-hmm. one of those things that no one talks about everyone focuses on these big sexy workouts but what they'll often do so when Megan says know you run from one corner to the other corner and then jog the straight so you're doing like a figure eight um, and you know, or not a figure eight, but kind of like a, uh,
1: it's a, it's a cross it's, or yeah. it makes like an X and then a, with a top.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, what are those things that measure time with sand? Kind of oh, an like hourglass. A, yeah. It kind of looks like an hourglass. Um, and so, you know, those types of things are constants in every system you see. You do not see a system that doesn't do this shit with syst- athletes that have world-class success. And so we should start focusing a lot more on these elements and a lot less on the things that do vary. And I think sometimes we uh, lose sight of that in the ultra- world and I actually think this next question addresses it in a, a, a similar concept um, in a way that would be helpful for people in training
1: this next question actually builds really well and I think it was nice to start with this because it gets into the premise of how we handle the next question so this next question I actually same instance I had an athlete email me the same question this morning <laughs> and so it's like it's amazing to already feel prepped for these responses so the question is when you were training for shorter races such as in 2014 did you follow the swap weekly routine with a second workout in the long run or is that more for ultras? Was it more like the traditional two workouts and easy long run?
0: So great question. I mean, I think the, the listener was getting back to like in 2014 is when we were on the US mountain team the first time um, and like, oh, that must have been more intense training. And the answer is absolutely not. Actually, it was the the same approach. And in fact, I believe every single year since then, we've had athletes on the U.S. Mountain team Mm -hmm. doing this similar approach. Exactly. Um, And so I think that what we're starting to see here is that the emphasis on speed workouts and stacking them as much as you possibly can, which is usually two a week um, plus a long run day is excessive for most athletes. I think there will be athletes that adapt to that, um, but for ninety-five percent, they'll often end up stagnating way too soon and be doing training that is too intense for their aerobic system. So their aerobic system will start to erode even as they have the illusion of getting faster.
1: Plus, it's just an injury risk as well, yeah. too. And the best, the best way to improve in training is to stack consistency over time. In what this listener was referring to, they, it seems like they've listened to our podcast long <laughs> enough to understand our training philosophy. Is that how we structure a week? Instead, is generally one day that strides, and that can start to actually approach a second workout day in some situations. Like yeah. we start extending those strides to forty-five seconds, or you know, even giving eight by thirty-second strides can turn into a little bit more of a workout focus. So we have a strides day. We have more of the the general like the general workout speed day and then within the long run we're often putting in tempo sometimes even surges um various things get chunked into that long run and so that's more the structure of our week compared to two speed workouts in a long run
0: yeah and i think you know, the reason this works is because of the aerobic system. Like that, you know, when you look at these training intensity distribution studies that they're starting to come out now, um, a good example is the Giro d'Italia one that I wrote about this week. Um, the cyclists are doing 85 to 90% of their training easy. Um, and you see the same thing in cross-country skiing. You see the same thing in world-class, uh, runners, um, in all the studies so far, no one is doing less than that. And so unless you're doing 160 miles a week or something, how are you going to do two speed workouts and keep 85 to of your training easy. It's almost impossible. And so, you know, be super careful about it because I think, you know, the the it gets back to that illusion. You feel like you're doing work. You feel like you're mm-hmm. going hard when in reality, the metabolic processes, uh, your mitochondria are getting less efficient. Uh, your lipid metabolism is getting less efficient. And it's essentially like, um, you know, building a big house on a foundation that has termites all throughout it. And so pay attention to that.
1: And if you looked at what's happened in terms of running progression post covid yeah we've actually seen like an explosion of athletes having running progression coming off of coming off of like the COVID period when we weren't racing as much. Definitely. And in that time period, athletes were doing a lot more aerobic focus. You know, they probably weren't stacking in those those two speed workouts as they traditionally were. And we saw this explosion in athletes running really fast times. And there's been some people that have theorized that that might be related. Yeah. And I think that's actually a really interesting point to bring into this conversation. But that being said, we also had an explosion of carbon juice post COVID. <laughs> there's like so many different confounding variables and Lord only knows what other drugs are out there eating people. <laughs> but um, I think the aerobic consistency during covid you know and prioritizing that over two speed workouts a week i think was a big part of it
0: well that makes sense though when you consider the uh training intensity distribution studies what they often say is you know pyramidal training which is uh most of your training is easy some of it is moderate and just a little bit is hard kind of like what we do in swap we're purely pyramidal um works really well for long-term growth but if you then put polarized training on top of it which is a lot more hard training mixed in and those athletes will then take another jump up. Mm-hmm. And so probably, you know, during COVID, pe- athletes were doing pyramidal training, then they throw in some polarized around races. And then my question is like, how can they keep that going? Like some of the initial post-COVID b- bounce hasn't been seen all across the board. And I think it's, you know, important for coaches to remember, okay, just because athletes are racing now, we still need to be reinforcing that aerobic system all the time.
1: I love that. Do you want to get on to the next question? Uh, let's do it. This is a great question. Um, the listener asked, great episode. Love the reality check that I don't need to be running massive distances when building base. Um, they're recovering from an injury followed by COVID. So I have no race, races planned until the spring. For older Clydesdale-sized athletes, like, do you have any advice? I am currently running four days a week, approximately 20 miles, with bike cross-training two days. For bike training... What, what, should the focus of these trainings be to help my running? Thanks. As always, you all are awesome. Adding baby fetus into the awesome sauce mix as well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. So I think that type of question, like how do you incorporate biking into running training, um, is a fantastic one and gets back to what we're talking about here in that one, let's start with the main principle going hard on the bike and going hard on the run are two very different things in how they feel like usually most athletes when they go hard on the bike are not going nearly as hard as they are when they're running um, because that it's just a different sport. Biking hard hurts like truly hard hurts in a level that running does not it's just a different experience
1: and a lot of athletes if they don't have the cycling background actually don't even have the capability to push hard on the bike it's very common for people who are just starting out with bike cross training to say i can't get my heart rate over you know you know my heart rate running i can get it 20 30 beats per minute higher um at the same effort and so it also does take some time to build the cycling power too but for us we generally do a lot more focus on building the aerobic system on the bike and also working the working lactate threshold as well but Avoiding just stacking a lot of VO two work because yeah. you can, yeah. uh, because you know because there is no breakdown stimulus on the bike you can do and cyclists t- cyclists training for cycling stack <laughs> a lot of work but cyclists training for running don't need to do that
0: yeah but it's an amazing opportunity because it's non impact and so you know it's a With um, seeing all these athletes introduce threshold training so predominantly and have a lot of success, it's like what better place to do that than the bike? Exactly. You know, for yes, for Jacob Inbertson, doing five by six minutes at threshold is very little stress. For most athletes, that's actually really hard, and your form starts to break down, and you're probably going to get injured if you keep that going all year round. Whereas when you start to have bike, it's a huge opportunity because it's like the same workout that would be daunting for a runner and might cause injury is actually n- totally fine from an injury perspective, but can still work the aerobic system in the same way. As long as you understand it's not a specific stimulus, um, it's more of a general aerobic one, it can build into you know your running growth in an incredible way.
1: And I take two kind of different approaches with designing running workouts and designing biking workouts. So a lot of our running workouts are designed with intervals under three minutes. Yeah. Though of course we have we sprinkle in all different types of intervals. But with biking training, I actually take more of the opposite approach huh. where I'll have a lot of longer intervals. So things like four by five minutes at tempo effort, um, five by four minutes, eight by three minutes, all with short recovery, so like one minute recovery, uh-huh. or eight, six, four, two, one with one minute recovery, really working that the, you know, working the aerobic system, working the lactate threshold system but avoid you know pushing into that vo2 max territory um and then also to it can be helpful actually the bike is a great place to develop some power yeah but i tend to like having um runners do that at higher rpm that way it's more of a specific neuromuscular stimulus
0: yeah so what does those high power type uh sessions look like um that maybe this athlete could try
1: i love something like 12 by 45 seconds um with one minute with one minute recovery and within that 45 seconds thinking about 90 rpm as a minimum threshold yeah. for 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 cadence um and then going all the way up to one, 110 and it's really nice you can start working in that that neuromuscular development with some of the faster rpm
0: i love that so how do you see athletes respond to this biking when they start to run more in their running races when you've had athletes you know incorporate more cycling
1: oftentimes i mean i think for trail runners it's great because yeah. oftentimes the power stimulus it's like doing mountain legs you can <laughs> yeah, feel true. that power stimulus running uphill Definitely. i think for athletes training for road marathons training for you know it's really specific running economy on the roads it can take a little longer to see that transition from the bike to 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 the roads um but i think certainly like the aerobic development's amazing the strength gains yeah. are great um and it's just an all-around like great stimulus for athletes yeah
0: so for this athlete i would say you know if you're doing just a couple of bikes a week like it's a great chance to work in some threshold work Um, you know this is bonus high level aerobic time you can do and um, get quality stimulus in without almost any risk and so you know once athletes start incorporating that I think it's a huge opportunity to level up the aerobic system over time just make sure that you're still recovering for running and not feeling worn down also enjoy it biking kills me emotionally I'm not so good at see, it
1: see I'm the opposite I love biking so yeah. much like right now I you know I can't exercise and at night when I dream about exercising which is quite a bit yeah. I'm like picturing myself flowing on a bike <laughs> in the mountains I love gravel biking yeah. so I'm a soul of, I think it's because you've never gravel biked before oh. and actually the one time you did you ate shit
0: yeah I did eat shit like I think what I imagine is that you like have all these organs while you're biking <laughs> which is not
1: true it would be if I did I would be a pro mountain mugger
0: you <laughs> would be well meanwhile I just like literally eat shit every time I hit a piece of gravel so um maybe that's why we have different experiences
1: yeah but I, I mean even Zwift I love Zwift
0: you do yeah Okay. Well, I guess I like it in small doses too. So maybe I'll do more of that with with you when you're coming back through cross training after pregnancy. I'm really
1: pumped. Maybe I'll get you as you know they have like push gifts in pregnancy.
0: Uh, like what?
1: So like husbands or not partners get get um whoever's delivering the baby like a push gift. And
0: wait, I didn't know this. I was supposed to get you a gift.
1: No, no. You're, I mean, I don't, I don't need gifts. But I'm gonna get you a push gift. That's a gravel bike, and then we're gonna okay. we're gonna send it post pregnancy. I'm
0: just gonna be there while you're pushing. It's like tater tots <laughs> just <laughs> in your face. <laughs> okay, let's get to the next question. Um I run commute a lot and the result is a lot of my weekday miles are accumulated as crappy little devils, <laughs> sometimes as short as two miles. Correction, sexy little doubles. Everything is sexy in swap land. Uh, can a training run ever be so short as to have no benefit at all? I do a medium long run uh, during the week and often back-to-back long runs on the weekend, but I wonder if my crappy little doubles <laughs> are providing any training stimulus. Uh, doubles are mostly discussed in the context of mileage-pushing elite runners, but I don't see a lot of discussion about those of us who do them out of necessity, and I would love to know your take about sexy little doubles.
1: Okay, double sexy little doubles are indeed sexy as yeah. far as training goes. I mean, our, our rough rule is that 10 minutes counts yeah. and honestly i would even go as far to say as eight minutes counts
0: oh for sure i mean so basically the physiology of it is unequivocal i think that um around that amount of time essentially the amount of time that it takes for your body to start clearing some of that initial lactate push and for your aerobic metabolism to kick in has you know benefits for runners across the board especially honestly especially runners that might not be pushing the mileage because mm-hmm. this is totally bonus mileage you might be able to put in you know, 20% extra work each week if you're doing this. And so that's huge for the aerobic system. So the aerobic and metabolic benefits are obvious and clear. Um, There's also MSK benefits, so like musculoskeletal system benefits, because every little bit of loading counts for how your body gets more durable over time. I sometimes think that, you know, when we talk about runners getting into the sport, what we're looking at is not how many miles they run. We're looking at how many runs they do in terms of what their adaptation is. That's a great are. point.
1: That's an incredible point. And I think also, too, as, as you think about that and you think about the consistency of it, as we said, 8 to 10 minutes on a run counts. But yep. also, too, running 14-minute pace, 16-minute yeah. pace, if your pace is typically much faster than that, also counts, too. David goes out... <laughs> You're
0: going to talk about my sexy little doubles now? Oh, my
1: gosh. I love... Sometimes you do them on the tribal. Sometimes you do them outside. I love when you jog up our driveway because our neighbors have seen you run four-minute pace, sub-four-minute pace, all the way up to 15-minute yeah. pace, probably at like equal volume. Yeah. And it's really cool.
0: So um I, I will occasionally, once in a blue moon, once every like six weeks, I'll load one of these to Strava. For me, these are for myself. I don't need the world to see these. Um, But... Some usually the ones I do load will be right around 945 to 1045 pace on flat ground. And that's for someone that like, you know, my aerobic threshold is probably, you know, I don't know, six-ish minutes or something.
1: Probably fast so, much faster than that.
0: No, no, no. Um, but the, you know, just points out that like going super slow and chilling out is awesome. I mean, the reason I went three minutes faster on that FKT today is because yeah, I've raised that power at VO2 over time or at least kept it steady, but these little aerobic stimuli over a lot of consistency over years really add up so Never, ever, ever call any of your bricks crappy. They're all sexy little bricks. (laughs)
1: Well, actually, there is. I I would say, though, if you find that you're stress-limited or you're not recovering, or even actually in some cases, I've had athletes go out and do two-mile doubles at like 10 p.m., which is not great because that interferes with sleep. So a number of different circumstances where they perhaps might not be as great. The other time I would say, actually, too, is post-long run. Mm. Um, So we kind of like long runs to be a sacred time of just getting in that mileage block all at one time and then allowing your body to, to recover Store glycogen um, really adapt to that. I think there's no reason to add on a, a sexy little double after yeah. a long run. It's actually
0: something I have to talk to pro runners about all the time. It's like the long run, the whole purpose of it that makes it different than all your other aerobic days. So, a good example for a pro runner is let's say their long run is 16 miles. That pro runner might be doing Ten five doubles all the time. So what makes those two different when they're basically the same amount of st- stimulus? It's that that long run is a glycogen depletion stimulus. Even if they're you know replacing all their fuel they can while they're doing it, as long, unless it's like purely 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 easy, they're going to be you know needing to re- recover their glycogen stores. And so um, you don't want to then, as you're in the glycogen recovery window, throw in another stimulus that's less quality um, that your body's trying to respond to. That's when athletes start to get injured, and that is true junk mileage. That is mileage that that is detracting from what could actually cause the cool long run adaptations.
1: And I'm gonna borrow a phrase from you that's actually the opposite of sexy. I uh, would say the doubles post-long run suck shit. Oh yeah. Because they also feel terrible too. I mean yeah. I don't know. It's to me I've I've occasionally experimented with that against against your, I mean, like, I've tried your to, best yeah. wishes. And they usually feel horrific. And so we, we tend to recommend I mean, it. I mean that I think that's recommend against it.
0: Important thing for listeners to know is like we've tried everything. Right? Oh like, we've oh we've tried yeah a lot every, of Every all yeah. the stuff that we insult, it's not just like theory uh it's theory and and physiology connecting with our own personal experience and then athletes we coach and seeing that oh well if something doesn't work 98 percent of the time it just doesn't work the two percent that it does work for would work with anything and i think that's one of the complicated things that will get us into the next question actually that i want to address because even though we're we're basically out of time here this question is such a sexy question let's do it do you like this
1: one can we answer actually both parts of the question
0: uh sure I mean
1: okay. let's go over a little bit this is this is our date time to be honest with you this is a prelude to Saturday date day so let's just give just a few okay, I'm, minutes I'm thinking this one well I was gonna okay. say do both
0: okay we'll, we'll, we'll do we'll start okay this really sexy question will come next the uh, only semi-sexy question is first I'd be keen to know if you guys are going to keep your whoop on uh, once Roach Jr. has arrived healthy and safe no doubt jacked on Athletic Greens <laughs> <laughs> oh it's so good athleticgreens.com slash swap to be as strong and sexy as this little baby I
1: was gonna say I hope you worked the word sexy into that Athletic Greens of promo course.
0: it's this is called the sexy shakeout uh, in my experience when my daughter and Mackenzie arrived the whoop had to go both for me and my wife the daily reminder that we were piece of shit uh, because we needed more sleep wasn't the most helpful at the time um amazing question and we were gonna this was in the outline for last week and we didn't get to it and i was like oh yeah i'm gonna keep it on for sure and then last night addy has been having stomach issues in the middle of the night for the last two nights oh my
1: gosh and how she notifies us is she just goes exorcist on our downstairs like yeah. sliding glass yeah. door so we wake up and we just hear her like pounding the door as she wants to go out and i feel like there'd be such more like efficient ways to notify us
0: yeah it's because she doesn't want to bother us but i'm like Addie, this is actually making it way worse because we don't <laughs> notice for like 30 minutes and meanwhile she's just like banging her head into the wall <laughs> I'm like Addie, you can just poop inside if you have to we, it's not a big deal just we come, have... come jump on our bed that would be the must much easier solution <laughs> poop in our bed we love addy um but after all this i actually found myself taking it off um and it points out that yeah you know i thought that i would keep it on because i don't mind it being in the red like i don't it's just information for me but in the middle of the night last night i was like you know i'm about to do an fkt i don't want to get that information um because i know i'm going to get this fkt and it's not going to help me either way so you know i think probably the way you did it is the way i'm going to do it too like I don't really need the data in the context of the baby being young. Maybe once things stabilize and like eventually, babies sleep, right?
1: Oh they, yeah, they. I promise you, they will sleep okay. eventually. Maybe by age eighteen. Eighteen? Yeah, yeah. It might. It might take a while. When
0: we send them off to like, I don't know, what's a good college to send our kid to?
1: Oh, I don't know. That's a good one. Arizona
0: State. I hear that. Oh, that, they're
1: beautiful. They're sexy there. They're, they're yeah. the most they're, beautiful they're, college. They're peak sexy. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, <laughs> a, that's a good answer. But here's my thing, actually, and I'll be very honest. This is this is Patreon. I'm a big fan of data periodization. I have not worn my whoop in months because yeah. I suck shit right now in yeah. terms of like, my, I mean, in pregnancy, your whoop scores just aren't great. And to me, I didn't want that to feed into anxiety. So to wake up one morning and have like a really low HRV... And think to myself, what's going on with baby boy in yeah. there? And so it's been really helpful for me to take mine off during pregnancy. I'll probably continue that postpartum until I start training again, but we did have a meeting with Whoop, actually, and I realized that neither of us had ours on. We just yeah. had our garments on, <laughs> and I was like, oh, hide your wrists. I was trying to type that to you in the yeah. URL of the of the um, the website we were on.
0: Well, maybe that's why Whoop no longer sponsors us.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's because they had a uh, major layoffs, which is kind of sad, but... Uh,
0: perhaps. Or maybe it's because we weren't rocking their sexy little bands. Okay, so the the really great question to end is, uh, why wouldn't the climber's paradox you've talked about in the past in past writings apply to Jim Walmsley's training for UTMB? Is it just because he's magic? If so, that tracks.
1: Um, uh, yeah, they actually answer correctly. Jim Wamsley is magic. Yeah, yeah. And that is actually, the that is honestly the reason, I mean, they, they answer the question so beautifully.
0: It's <laughs> So perfect. Uh, so for those that uh, don't, you know, just want a quick refresher. Climber's Paradox is what we refer to as athletes that do a fuck ton of vert ending up getting slower on all surfaces, including uh, vert. and there's a lot of reasons for that mostly gets back to mechanical stresses and how the body actually puts out power um we've written about it a bunch of places but the climbers paradox does seem like it starts to break down with athletes that have truly no vo2 max limitations um so you know the talented motherfuckers out there so jim walmsley's one um where he's playing by slightly different rules and so when i look at jim walmsley's training what i'm seeing is i can't really discern specific intervals like mm-hmm. he's done in the past um what i'm seeing though is that he is running uphills pretty fast sometimes. fast
1: always oh, getting like every cute cr in the book
0: yeah yeah okay when and so left and right we talked about pyramidal training like he is doing grade a pyramidal he might even be moving in towards threshold training which is a different um structure where you have even more in the mid-level tempo zone because every time he's going uphill his heart rate's going up um, and his power's going up and so even if you can't really tell that it's like a structured interval he's doing workouts that if you wrote it down might look like five by 25 minutes or something wild like that. Um, and if you layer that in with a lot of easy training and you have no top end like limitations, you can see how, oh fuck, that's gonna be an aerobic monster that's just fast naturally. And they're just gonna get better and better and better to a point. And then the, the question is, when do you run into that speed w- ceiling? I think even Jim will. But the thing about Jim is he periodizes well enough that I'm sure this winter he'll be doing track workouts again and he'll reset the cycle. The question is, will it last till he's 40? I mean, at this point can't say it won't because he's been rocking it every year
1: I think it will he's been like the picture of longevity so far yeah. which has been really remarkable and he does a great job of periodizing his training and I think all it would take to refresh that as you said is just one training block I think Matt Daniels another great yeah. example of this so this is a swap athlete swap so athlete we can talk about more racing personally. at CCC I'm yeah. really excited for that Killian Journey, another good example Claire Gallagher um, so I mean I think we, we see it across yeah. many athletes and I mean
0: to the point that th- this listener's question is so brilliant and gets to like a problem I have with an athlete like Matt is if If you give him really hard work, uh, sometimes he is so strong that the uh, level of output he has will not let him adapt to everything else. Because, you know, one place where he he is a little different than Jim is Jim is also insanely durable. Um, You know, Matt is more of like maybe your traditional like Ferrari. You know, he needs to go into the shop sometimes if he pushes too hard. And so what we've been doing for CCC... Has been totally unique for him is okay we got fast early on in the cycle way back in may and june and then as he's gone over to europe for the last month we've just spent a lot of time on trails and he has not been doing structured workouts really and then this past week um the wednesday before friday next friday ccc so like nine days before he did a tempo in on one of the first climbs at the you know out of chamonix and set the record on it and it's like fuck these good runners play by different rules because like most athletes, if they did his training, would be like, oh, I'm strong and I'm ready for CCC, but I'm a little slow. He's so fast that he goes out there on a 35-minute climb that he was expecting to be 45 minutes because he's so damn fast right now from the aerobic development.
1: And those athletes are so fun to coach. Yeah. Also a little daunting too, because you really do have to think about these added considerations. Um, and so it's, it's really interesting to kind of layer in these different things. But I think some of the challenges that, Jim's training or Killian's training can be sensationalized to the point that like people may forget about the climber's paradox. And so it's something that we like constantly come back to. And it's so
0: key to understand training philosophy more generally. It's like, you know, we try to always anchor it in like world-class athlete experience solely because that's where the margins are so narrow that you're starting to see interesting things play out. Like, um, you know, whoever wins a world championship, it's like, oh, well they must be optimizing their physiology, optimization is cool and gives us clues for everyone. But the problem is that like sometimes those freaks don't play by the same rules as everybody else. And then training philosophy is uh, interpolated from those outliers. And that's how you get things like people being like, oh, yeah, you can just do schema all winter and you're going to get faster in running. It's like, yeah, you can if you're freakishly high VO2 to begin with and you just respond to any type of aerobic training amazingly. But for most people, it's like schema is great and it's good for the aerobic system. But if you don't also reinforce some of the biomechanics of running, you're just going to find yourself slower in spring and spend all year trying to catch up.
1: And it takes a long time to get back into things if it, if you take a while to respond to that biomechanical stimulus. Like I've had athletes who have taken, you know, multiple weeks off to Schemo and then they yeah. come back into running. And it's like it feels like a foreign but sport. Also, But also people that don't. And to put, yeah.
0: to put respect on her name, Megan Roach right here is one of those freaks. So, you know, with biking, for example, you love it. And I think part of the reason you love it is you run so well off it. Um, you basically can go from biking into, you know, world-class running competitions directly. And it's because you're an absolute freaking monster. Obviously, you know, you're like Matt. You're like a Lamborghini. Sometimes you need to go into the shop for your heart or something. Your it's, engine needs a little tune. It's really a
1: really nice way to think about it. Like, I'm definitely more of the – I just struggle with inflammation. So you know, I'm yeah. more, like, injury prone. And thinking I'm, like, a Lamborghini is a, a good mental, <laughs> mental swag way to think about it.
0: Exactly. And so, you know, maybe over time we can, like – just you know tune up that engine a little but like it it gives me so much confidence for your return um after pregnancy and after all this heart stuff because all we have to do is figure it out like if your ticker works even a little bit we have so much evidence in the past that like you just like you're like uh, a pile of like you're a big old um barrel of gas (laughs) and if we can just put a match on it it's like the world fucking ignites.
1: Well, I i mean, I am literally a big old barrel of gas right now, so that's a very accurate description.
0: <laughs> Do you want to let one rip for the end of the podcast?
1: I can't. I don't have an me. Oh, really? No. Okay, I well, mean, I was, it was going to be a burp rip, not... Uh, okay. The well, other one would be kind of gross for a Patreon episode. I mean, it's Patreon's family. Yeah. But... I, I would need to I would need a solid five minutes or some chocolate milk.
0: Okay, well we'll do that off mic. Okay, perfect. Okay, we love you all. Seriously,
1: thank you for listening to this point. We love you, Patreon audience, you're amazing. Thanks for the incredible questions, all the engagement. David, thanks for this date day. This has been really freaking fun.
0: Yeah. I love you so much. Love you, boo. You're sexy. You're not wearing underwear and your legs are open. <laughs> I am
1: that is a true statement. I went down to pick up a package today and I was like, I think it just splashed the neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> Huzzah! <laughs>